Good morning, church. Al, good morning. Morning, Kelly. Good to have you back. It's good to be back. I heard where you belong. I heard you had a birthday yesterday. Did y'all know it's Kelly's birthday yesterday? I did. Yeah. How about a little round of applause for Kelly? One. He's at that age now where they say he made it to whatever he is now. So. (laughs) That's right. I did make it. I'm still making it. It's the Super 60s. That's what I'm in. 61. Used to sound like a big number, but it's. It's not big at all anymore. I've noticed that when you get over the hill, uh, time goes faster and you go slower. Some of you may uh, recognize that closer than others, I'm sure. So uh, uh, good to have you out. I, I know you've been out traveling. Tell us what's going on. I know your dad's got a new show coming out or something. Well, we, put it, we put it in the bulletin today. It's uh, In the Woods with Phil, and uh, it's going to crank up uh, a week from tomorrow. Uh, you know... You're going to find this hard to believe, but Dad doesn't go well with networks, um, advertisers, sponsors. There seems to be a little bit of a uh, rub, and so uh, we had to find a way to be able to get Dad out there to do what he does best, and that's impact our culture and our world. And so we came up with this concept. It's it's actually going to be a web-based show, and it's on uh, CRTV.org if you're interested in checking it out. Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and some others that are on this network. So uh, it's going to be great. A little short vignettes of uh, Dad just being Dad, uh, this time without censorship. So uh, it should be really interesting. So keep us in your prayers for sure on this project. Uh, Zach and I are producing the show, and Seth Easterly, uh, Caleb Keene are working on the show with us. And what a blessing, the kids we raised up, that now we get to hire back uh, with their expertise. So uh, keep that in in your prayers. Uh, well, that is a great blessing. And so, uh, I don't know, you know, we've been having Phil teach here without censorship a long time. But, uh, you know, the rest of the world needs to be in on whatever's going on, right? So, right. Phil, thank you, brother, for that. Because I know there's sometimes a lot of, uh, of uh, criticism and a lot of challenge. But uh, I'm glad the Lord raised you up to have a voice in our culture. And uh, it desperately needs some voices from the Lord, doesn't it? That's right. And, amen. 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 That's thank good. you. Well, we've been in a series called Grit, and we've been talking about uh, those kind of qualities that keep people just going when, when time's tough, the kind of thing that makes you persevere, the kind of thing that makes you endure, and all those kinds of situations. And so uh, next week, of course, will be our uh, Missions uh, Sunday, and uh, I think we've got a, uh, another slide up that shows our card. Do we? There we go. Uh, different places around the world. Just leave that one up the rest of the time, guys. Uh, and because if people get bored with us, then at least we want them getting the Mission Sunday message, right? right? Amen. Got it? Uh, but we're reaching out a lot of places around the world. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's exciting. And I think we kind of need to recapture our vision for that. All the different countries that we get to be a part of, of uh, evangelizing and partnering with other places. And, and so uh, uh, th- uh, this shows some of those countries. You should have gotten this in the mail or we'll get it in the mail. And next Sunday we'll raise uh, uh, all the money we can and need to take care of these efforts around the world. But it's pretty exciting when you think about refugees out of Afghanistan, Syria, those countries that come out of uh, that Muslim culture and now are being converted in Greece and in Turkey by people we're partnering with. And then they go from there wherever taking the gospel with them. 
So, I mean, it's pretty exciting times that we live in. It really is. And so I'm excited about our missions effort. It's always one of my favorite days, and it's been a great blessing to be a part of this church who has always had that outward win the world uh, mission mindset from the very beginning of when we started right here. And so that still continues on to this very day. Uh, and I, I just pray a great blessing on next Sunday. Uh, today we're going to be talking about continuing in the life of David. Uh, and today's an interesting point because you, you hear most sermons about David, and it's usually the highest of the highs, you know, that battle with Goliath and the, and the five rocks and, and going out there and, and the battle belongs to the Lord and we're fighting for him. And that seems to be just such a huge moment in David's life to the lowest of the lows, where, the, of course, the fall with Bathsheba and so much that we learned from that, not just from David's mistakes, but then also what happened after that, which was terrible. But today we're sort of in between that, and we're going to talk about what happens sometimes when you lose that grit. Because David, I don't know if there's any grittier person in the entire Bible, for sure. And yet at the same time, obviously he's going to get to a point uh, where he's going to not be successful and he's going to experience failure. Now, David was set apart by God for an incredible life and mission, no doubt about it. We first see him popping on the scene in 1 Samuel 16 with this secret anointing. And, you know, nor his dad nor his brothers or even the prophet Samuel thought that he would have been the one that God would have chosen to be his pick for king of Israel. They had, of course, King Saul, who was not God's pick, but the people's pick because of the way he looked, the way he carried himself, the tribe he was from. But God had different ideas, and he had them for David. He was gifted. He was a fierce warrior. He talked about killing lions and tigers and bears, oh my, with his bare hands, which means you're pretty fierce, right? But at the same time, he was a gifted poet and musician, which how many times do you put those two together, right? Can you imagine the current uh, White House chief of staff, John Kelly, sitting around playing a guitar and singing some love songs to someone? I mean, it just doesn't go together, right? And yet that's exactly what David was. He had a unique talent and gift. And even though he was fierce, he had a huge heart for people and for the Lord. Listen to what was said from God to Nathan about David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look at how honorable he was. God said, now then tell my servant David, chapter 7 verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, And I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. That's how God felt about David. And catch David's reply a little bit later in verse 18. David said back to God in a prayer, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? Fierce, tender-hearted, humble, and honored by God. You know, David goes through the, the through these seasons of time. There, first uh, this very humble beginning. Yet God uses him to accomplish a great thing. Uh, the uh, uh, the great warrior all of a sudden he becomes, and and uh, he's you know the kings killed his thousand, but David is ten thousands, and those kinds of things. And now it's time for David to be king. 
And when he comes in to be king, the, the, the place is kind of a wreck because Saul didn't do a great job. And the, a lot of the enemies had started encroaching upon Israel and taking different lands. And so David's going to have to settle some of these things. And so he goes to, uh, to war with a lot of these folks, and he has great success. He's winning every one of them. And so with this success becomes you know, great victory, and all of a sudden he has this season of success. He lives in a great palace now. He has a great city that he has, and all, and all this great army around him. And he's, and he's basically whipping everybody that challenges him. And so there he's in this season of success in 2 Samuel chapter 8 through 10. And, and there, there's this army that, that still has really been bothering him a whole lot. He hadn't quite got rid of the Ammonites. Now they're kind of a mean crew because earlier when Saul was king, they took over a section and looked to gouge out the right eye of every Israelite around. That's the kind of men these Ammonites were. I mean, they're brutal. And yet after that, the, the, after that king of the Ammonites dies and his son takes over, now David's become king. And somehow or another, he had made some peace with the old king. Now he's got to make it with the young guy. So he's going to send out some, uh, uh, he's going to send out a diplomatic group to make some peace with this guy and see if we can't settle things. So he goes down to the Ammonites. He sends a group down there. He doesn't go. He sends a group. They get down there. And this guy, he doesn't believe David really wants peace. All those around him are saying, don't believe them, don't believe them. And so they don't, they don't believe it, and they want to shame them. So they cut half their beards off, and then they cut half their robe off. Now, this is the Bible word in the text. Exposing their buttocks. And send them on their way, full of shame. And all of a sudden, David gets that message. He says, okay, you boys want to go that route. I mean, I'm not sure that's exactly how it's said in the Hebrew, but, you know. That's why all of a sudden he goes and makes war. And now he's whipped all their adversaries and their neighbors, and he's, and he's focusing on the Ammonites. And he doesn't quite finish it because, probably because of winter coming on. And so they hold up the fighting. And then that's going to lead to another section of his life. In warfare, they call that the half-bearded moon maneuver, by the way, just if you're wondering. (laughs) So because David then, you know, everything is set to come in and finish off uh, this battle. But then all of a sudden, Houston, we have a problem, even though we're in the World Series. David, in the spring, 2 Samuel 11, 1 says... At a time when kings go off to war, in other words, you know, all right, winter's over. Um, now we're going back and we're going to finish the job. We've, been, we've had them surrounded and got them where we want them. When kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the Israelite army. And this is the first time we've ever seen this happen in David's career as king and military leader. What gives? All of a sudden, you're going to stay behind? So the army goes out. They destroyed the Ammonites. They besieged another city. But David remains in Jerusalem. That word remain there in the Hebrew means to sit. So David just decides he's going to sit this one out. You know, he's had a great career. He's won a lot of battles. I mean, he's done what God has 
told him to do. It's time to rest a little bit on your laws and just look back and reflect, right? One evening, David got up from his bed. And that evening, by the way, is more afternoon than night. You, know, you kind of imagine we say evening here, we think night. The Hebrew word here, the afternoon. So David, he's just laying around the palace, checking out Netflix, looking around, eating some Cocoa Puffs. He's bored. He gets up from his bed in the middle of the day and he walks around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, uh uh-oh, he got over to HBO, he saw a woman bathing. And we know where the story goes from there. The saddest part of this whole tale is that this moment of boredom would change not only his life, but Israel's life as a nation and his entire family in the future. This was a disastrous moment, born out of a bored moment. And it got Mike and I thinking about how easy it is to become bored and what God has called us to do. And in fact, I believe it's it's a national and international epidemic of boredom. My three-year-old grandson came in recently and said, Pat, I'm bored. I said, you're three years old. You don't get to be bored. Are you kidding me? A three-year-old is bored? I said, why are you bored? He said, because I want to look at the iPad. I said, go outside and play, son. Now, I'm saying like going back some generations, right? But that's how it is now. And I mean, he didn't know that on his own. How did he, where did he hear that? I'm bored. You remember being a young boy? You're always on the go. Culturally. That's what we're beginning to see. And we, be, we believe we're beginning to see it even in the church. I think there's a thing that happens sometimes to us when we've had great success, whether you're a church or whether in your individual life or in your business uh, uh, and, or, or whether you're king of a nation. You have this great success, and after that success, you decide to rest a little while. And that rest leads to complacency, and that complacency leads to boredom, and many times that boredom leads to sin. Because when you lose your purpose, then you start looking for something to, to, to stimulate you again for energy to life. But the problem is, the answer to boredom is not more activity. I mean, look at your kids. They're on the screens. They're, at the, they're doing stuff in the house. They're busy, but they're bored. And so uh, uh, the CEOs of companies have great success. They've got big, big calendars, uh, events all along, but they get bored even though they've had great success, and all of a sudden it leads to a lot of downfall of, of, of men who have been successful in the past. So it happens to individuals. It happens to churches. I think uh, celebrating what God's done in the past is a great thing. We give Him the glory, right? That's right. But we can't live in the past or the past will become our idol. Right. It's not about what we've done at Watchbury Road. It's not about that. It's about what God's going to do in the future. We've got to have that kind of purpose ahead of us. If we don't, we will become bored. Some people become bored with their marriage. And then as a result, you know what? They get on the computer. They get on the TV. The, they get on a screen that never says no. Instead, they've got to fight for the heart of their mate. They've got to get back in the fight. Some people get bored with just reading the Bible. Hey, Mike, I just bored. Because obviously it's not meaning something to their life every day. They lose the purpose for it. 
Some get bored in church. Some of you may be saying, I'm getting a little bored right now. I don't know. (laughs) But we get bored with church. So the answer to boredom, people always think it's more stimulus. So I'll tell you what, I'll just, if I can create another kind, of, uh, another kind of worship experience, if I can go to an event, if I can go to a seminar, if I can go to this, and somehow or another that's going to settle my religious boredom. And what the sad thing is, that turns people into consumers instead of contributors. I don't want to go to war with consumers who will run after the next best thing they find that pleases themselves. I want to go to war with contributors. People who come and are in the battle who have not lost the passion and purpose for why they exist. I think our culture has bled over into our churches and has affected us a whole lot more than we think. You're exactly right, Mike. And, and the reason you can see this and know that it's true is you see what the culture is battling by this replacing of passion. When you don't have anything to stand for or to stand on, you fall for anything. And so you then begin to try to fill what I call as an unfillable hole. Now, that's why, you know, for David, it was a sex thing. And it is a lot with our culture as well. Pornography and all sorts of things that branch out from that. Now you have social media where these pictures are sent back and forth and you see these things happening. And most of us who are older, we can't imagine it. But in, in, our, in the younger generation, millennial world, it's just rampant. I recently read an article in Time magazine that was talking about now there's been enough time passed between, you know, people that were in junior high when, when you first were able to get iPhones and easy access to the Internet. And now these are in their 20s. And now there's all this psychological damage that's happened to them about sexuality because just this overexposure of jumping and diving into an unfillable hole of pornography and perversion that continues to get worse and worse. They're talking about wanting to to limit pornography now, a whole generation of people. It has nothing to do with God just because it's making them where they can't function in relationship. That's how bad it is. What's even worse is we know the answer because a passion for Christ and for God puts all that stuff away and allows us to fill the unfillable hole, to have a relationship with your spouse, to raise up a family and teach them the right ways. This is what's needed more than anything else in our culture, but it has to begin with us. We can't be living the exact same way and then be a shining example because we say, well, we're bored. You know, the Bible just doesn't mean what it used to in my life. It just doesn't speak to me. Let me just tell you something. It's not the Bible. It's you and me. Because it's still the powerful Word of God. It still is a double-edged sword. It still speaks truth into our lives. When we grow cold, it's us. But the good news is God can reignite that passion in a heartbeat. Because we say, God, we're, we're at this place of barren boredom. Or we're just busy all the time, but we're not accomplishing anything. Or I've lost my first love, passion for the gospel of Christ and helping other people. What must I do? And he says, oh, you just wait. If you're willing, I'll light a fire in you that will burn so bright you can't imagine what good will come out of it. And that's how we're going to impact our culture for good. Now you think about it. If David had gone to war 
at the time he was supposed to and be in the battle for the kingdom the way he was supposed to, the rooftop doesn't happen. So the question then is, do we put ourselves, are we in that environment, are we in the environment of the rooftop? Are we in the environment of, I'm setting out something, I'm going to let other people kind of fight the battle for a while? Have we, have we talked to ourselves as, as a church or as an individual? Look, we all go through times, uh, ups and downs, all of us do. Uh, I go through times I'm not near as conscious of being evangelistic as I need to be. And then I have to kind of be, remind myself, hey, i got to get back in the battle. So we all kind of go through this times. We don't all end up in immorality. We don't all end up in greed. We don't all end up in addictions, which, which ultimately those things are trying to take the place and the purpose of satisfying us when nothing else will satisfy but God. So we all kind of get to that point, but we have to relook at things and say, Okay, I, if I've lost my first love, or if I've lost my passion, or if it, if it feels like I'm losing that, what's going on in my life that I should be involved in that I've sit out? Right. Have I been sitting out of the, the kingdom for a while? I used to teach, but now I hadn't taught in years. I used to have people in my home, now I don't have them in my home at all. I used to, is it a used to, these are things I used to do, I don't do anymore. Or is there some new, new uh, ministry I can get it hooked into? Uh, that uh, maybe I need to be writing our missionaries. Maybe I need to be visiting them. How can I get on board back with the vision and the passion about the battle God has set before us? Because when we all get on board there, everything else that we kind of used to look at as important kind of takes its proper place. And that's what we've got to make sure we don't go to the rooftop. Instead, we go to the fight. One of my favorite psalms that this tender warrior, David, wrote post Bathsheba was Psalm 51. It was a desperate forgiveness moment for David. If you hadn't read it lately, I want to encourage you to read that today. Because it's a psalm of repentance. And he uses words like mercy, cleansing, purity, joy, returning of salvation. And he says, "When, when that happens, Lord, then I will teach Declare, praise, and lead. A fire lit. David's life did end well, in spite of all the difficulties. And of course, Solomon was another great gift to him from God, in spite of his weaknesses and his failings. Mike's right, we all will go through periods. I compare it to Elijah. You know, his wasn't boredom, his was fear that, you know what? We can't win the war. We can't win it. He had just had this great victory against Ahab and Jezebel. They put out a contract on him, and he just said, you know, I'm done, God. I'm through. I'm sitting out here under a broom tree. He had a broom tree moment, and I'm just ready for you to take me. We can't win this. So God took him to an earth, wind, and fire concert and said, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we can win. If it's just me and you, we can win. And then he sent him on his way and said, I got some people out here you need to see. There's 7,000 that are waiting for you to rally them. And by the way, right around the corner was his protege and the guy he would train to take his place, Elisha. See, sometimes we're in that most barren place. Right around that next corner is a great blessing just waiting to be had. And that's why we have to trust in Christ. I love Mission Day because I was inspired by some of our ambassadors 
around the world. I was going to ask you how to tell about the time when Isaac, you first yeah. met him. And I was here. Uh, I'd been in ministry about 10 or 12 years, and I was just in a weird place where I was just kind of like, I don't know, do I need to keep doing this? I don't know if it was a full broom tree moment, but it was a moment where I was doubting whether I should even be in ministry. And that year we had the 40th celebration for World Radio, and Bill and Carl and, and those guys brought in Isaac Day. And I sat there and I listened to Isaac speak, and he was on fire for God. And he was talking about he was a, a, a evacuee from Liberia that became a Christian and trained in Ghana, was now a missionary in four countries, and all four of them were more than 90% Muslim. And this was right after 9 11. I'm just thinking, this man is John the Baptist. I mean, he's speaking into a Muslim culture. His life is in danger every day. And look at it. I was inspired. I mean, it lit a fire in me. So much so that I would spend the next 12 years not only doing ministry here, but going around the world. And I went over there with him three times, scared to death that some Muslim was going to kill me. But thinking, you know what? If God is with this guy, then he can be with this guy. And what better way to go than doing that? than leading people to Christ. So we can regain passion. We can be inspired by other people. And that's why it's so important for us to be open to that in our own lives and to continue to want people around the world to hear the good news. I was thinking about Isaac because uh, not only did he do a great job in a country that he wasn't born in, but he ended in just to be able to share the gospel. But then when his own country opened back up in Liberia, then he moves back there and, and starts a school to train people, to convert folks, uh, also to learn how to work and take care of themselves and their own salaries so they don't have to depend upon American money all the time to go out and plant churches all over Liberia. And that's the work that you're giving to next Sunday. That's the work that we're involved in that, 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 that has an end to it in one, in one sense because they're going to learn to take care of themselves but it never has an end because they're going to multiply the ability to take the gospel to people generation after generation after generation. And that's something exciting to be a part of. And so sometimes I just have to kind of sit back and say, okay, Mike, I need to recapture my, my vision or the vision that you gave us, this church, about reaching the world. How many countries could we, we really be in planting churches with guys like Isaac? How many? I mean, and how, how many do we lack? Where do we need to go next? I had a guy call me uh, this week from uh, uh, from Florida, a buddy of mine, Randy Green, who's is real involved in missions around the world, and he said uh, uh, he said he had had a phone call from Croatia, and there's a new guy there, then Zagreb there. They've had a school, but it hadn't been very evangelistic, and they want to learn how to plant churches. They want to bring Randy there to to to. To help teach them how to plant church. He said, Mike, you were in Croatia somewhere. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, look, let, let's get our heads together. Maybe we need to get World Radio back there in the planting of these churches. Maybe we need to get hooked back in. Maybe it's time, you know. Uh, I don't know. So we're, we're praying about that. I had two other churches write me this week about we want to plant a church in Louisiana. And we already have some money set aside. And I said, that's great because we don't have any money. But we've got folks excited about it, you know. And so, uh, but we're starting to, par- uh, to partner with folks. And uh, Robert Abels is going over and going to, to help be a part of interviewing a couple that's thinking about being church planters in our state. 
And when they come to plan in our state, we ought to be involved in our state. Amen? That's right. We want our own right. people to find Amen. the Lord. And so we, 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 there's exciting things still to be dreamed and still to be done here as well as abroad. Recapture the vision of taking the gospel to the whole world in our generation from this place. Don't lose that vision. We're more than helping. It's more than feeding. It's more than taking care of physical needs, although we always want to do that. We have a heart for that. But it's making sure the good news of Jesus gets established in the hearts of kids as well as adults in different parts of this world. Lisa and I have the opportunity to fly over and speak uh, for the first graduation in Isaac's school. Twelve men and their families who will be planting churches all over Liberia, and we get to send them out. God really is good, amen, mm-hmm. in my life, to now be able to see that work uh, firsthand. What a blessing for us. The work begins in us. And so today, you may have be in that dry place or have been in a place where you're on the rooftop just looking around and not really sure where you want to go next. It's okay. We have those moments. Great men and women in the Bible had those moments. But you don't want to stay there. Because trust me, the evil one is ready to pounce if he hasn't pounced already. And maybe you're one of those people that have been trying to fill an unfillable hole with an addiction or something else. And maybe today's the time you need to give that up and reignite your first love and your passion for Christ. If you've never accepted Christ and become a Christian and been baptized into him, today's a great day to start your journey. We've got an army here, and we're ready to march side by side, and we need more soldiers, not less. And we need people passionate. So if you have a need today for reigniting passion or just giving something up to God or this church family, we want to invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.